Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Patrick Cullen and I'm here, of course, back in black again with the one and only Christopher T. Barty. Bardo, how are you, big man? We're, we're podcasting again, somehow, some way. We never stop. We can't stop, won't stop, Pat. Um, that's, what they, <laughs> that's what they say. Uh, can't stop, won't stop. Um, this, this, you know, you said to me when we started, we'll, we'll just do it for the summer. We'll just do it for the summer. This is now turning into a timeless buddy test, Pat. It's a timeless bloody test. You're telling me, buddy. Yeah. You're telling me. Yeah, it's uh, labour of love, isn't it? We're at episode f- 43, and mm. we're, we're nearly hit. We're nearly hit a half ton, buddy. Yeah, yeah. You and I. I'm excited. Look, I'm. You know what? I'm excited for the Ashes series because I think at some point we're going to have to hit a. You know, hit hit 50. So we'll have to have a raise the raise the bat special. Um, yeah, raise the bat special. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Maybe it can be like one of those old Simpsons episodes where they couldn't be bothered writing an episode, so they just cut together like highlights from previous episodes. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And you know what else? I might even air tasker out that um that particular edit, Great. and just really take a break. My yeah. <laughs> the fiftieth episode might just be you and me having a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> the Chris and Pat raise the back spectacular that doesn't actually fe- feature Chris or Pat. Um, I like that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think we just have Spinksy. We just put Spinksy and Hawkey in the seat and we just stroll out. Yeah. You and I just post some photos on the Instagram and the Facebook and yeah. just us having a beer. That's just right. a relaxing I think that's what we should do. Um, <laughs> the only thing is you'd probably return to the studio in, in some sort of burning pile of ash, uh, you know, because Spinksy hits the wrong button or... <laughs> You know, Hawkey plays one of his classic gags, or I don't know. Things will happen, but that's yeah. all right. Um, You're right. We've You're got right. things to focus on. There's a lot to talk about, mate. So I really think we need oh, to uh, huge get cracking, um, and get cracking in a good way, not in a Stephen Steve Harmison O six O seven way. <laughs> Let's get on you task know, here. Thanks for bringing that up, though, because that's made me remember Steve Harmison in O six O seven, and that's really warmed the cockles of my heart. Um, I tell you what else has warmed the cockles of my heart, mate, and that is the Australian women's team um, because they are sensational, they are extraordinary, and we have absolutely annihilated the pomps. I really wanted to talk to Heidi Cheadle about this today, but unfortunately she's been held up with other commitments. So you and I, Chris, are just going to talk about some women's cricket even though we're not particularly as qualified as Hyde's is. Um, mm. We're going to try and put our brains together and see if we can't do a, an, a job of this. Um, so, mate, uh, before we crack into the details, how... How is your overall? What's your overall vibe of this women's Ashes series that's just been wrapped up? Uh, it was a little, little one-sided, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> just a touch, Chris. Just yeah. a touch. Just a, just a little incy wincy bit one-sided. No, look. I think. I mean, clearly, the Australian women have been dominant uh, yet again uh, in in the Ashes series. It'd be nice if uh, you'd think, being a home series, England would have turned up. Uh, you really would, you, wouldn't you? You would have thought that uh, you know they they could have put it. I mean, I've never heard of Taunton really before um, <laughs> until now. But I would have either. thought, being the home country, you could have at least put it into Google Maps and found your way to the ground. Um, <laughs> 
Are you implying they didn't even physically appear, Chris? They didn't wow. Physically turn up. Um, no. Look, I, I think the the key component here is just how dominant the, the Southern Stars have been. But mate, I think the biggest result that's come out of all of this is that there's going to be a, a renewed focus domestically on the women's National Cricket League. Um, looks like it's going to get some additional fixtures and some some more attention from from CA. And and I think that's just just desserts because there's been certainly been some spectacular individual performances littered throughout this series. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And it's great to see Cricket Australia responding to the fan-driven response uh, to the women's game. And, mate, look, who can blame the fans either? I mean, um, Elise Perry hit another tonne in the, in the test match. There were 50s to Bolton, Lanning. Um, Rachel Haynes got an 87. Beth Mooney, uh, fan of the pod, friend of the pod, Beth Mooney, got a 51. And, and as you say, the Poms got absolutely pumped there. The Aussies in the first innings of that test, um, the one and only test in the Ashes for the for the ladies team there, um, weighed 420, Bardo. 420 for eight declared. Mm. I mean, that is a imposing first innings total in any form of the game. That is absolutely dominating. Um well, look, I think if there is one disappointing thing out of out of the women's Ashes format at the moment is that there is only one Test match. Um, Bizarre. I understand that the women do. They, I understand that the women do play a lot of lot more um, shorter, lot more of the shorter formats of the game, but I think surely um, women's cricket internationally has reached a, a a point in its history where. You know, we can sustain our attention on a game for more than 20 or 50 overs. Um, and it was a thoroughly enjoyable contest. Yeah. I think the other thing which was um, worthy of note, as you say, aside from the individual performances uh, of, uh, of you know Perry in particular, um, is that the match actually ended in a draw. Um, yeah. And the Australians were actually forced to defend their tactics there. Um, batting, despite, as you say, setting an imposing total of 420 uh, in the first innings, they were forced to defend their tactics in the second dig, despite having England on the ropes. Um, they play for a draw because of the way the point system in the overall series is structured, um, given that uh, you get a certain amount of points for each one-day international and a certain amount of points for each T20, um, so that they could lock the series away entirely. They didn't actually play for the win, they played for the draw, yeah. um, because it was, a, it was the smarter overall move um, for the uh, for the series as a whole, rather than the match, and and I think that um, uh, I certainly can't criticise the Australians for, for doing that. I think it's you know you, you play within the rules that you're given, but I think it's a, it's something that needs to be examined because um, you know as much as possible you need to put uh, players in a position where they want to play for a, a result. Uh, and uh, so it's something that I think needs to be to be looked at. Perhaps in future, uh, you know, the the women's Ashes can be played over a three test series, perhaps with with standalone ODIs and 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 T20s. I'm not too sure what the what the right answer is, but there was just something I sort of reflected on where the the point structure of the system um, didn't really uh, wasn't conducive to uh, to a result in the match. Which was interesting. Yeah, and a little bit disappointing, Chris. I think you're right there, you know, and potentially England having fought back a bit uh, by the end of their first innings could have performed quite differently if they had another test match opportunity to be able to prove themselves. Um, and, and that's good for the game. 
you know, that that's great for the game, as opposed to fans having to keep track of a, of a point system, which is quite complicated. Um, the most recent, the last game in the series has just wrapped up and Australia have retained the Ashes, um, so you can't really sledge their tactical nous there. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, Bardo. I think that I think that, that would be, it would be a lot better just to have at least one more test, if not two, um, and split those points up a bit more evenly for, for a better fan viewer experience. Um, that's that's my mm. shout out. And mate, we also just have to mention her name again because we haven't said it yet, but we have a, a bit. But we need to lay down our arms and hold ourselves up in prayer, um, maybe sacrifice some cricket whites to the great Elise Perry, um, queen of the queen of the of queen of cricket, um, first of her name, mm. the breaker of chains. She is <laughs> truly that good, Bardo. She's a real. She's a once in a generation player. She maybe once in a in a in a century player. At least Perry. She is extraordinary. We can't talk her up enough. Yeah. No. Look, it's certainly an extraordinary athlete. Uh, someone I want to mention, uh, though, Pat, is uh, Sophie Molyneux. Hey, friend of the pod, um, Sophie Molyneux. You know, she's uh, she's been a standout performer for a little while now, and. Um, if I'm not mistaken, although I could be, I think this was her first test match. I believe you're right. Um, and, and not a bad performance by any stretch of the imagination from the 21-year-old. Um, 41 runs in the in the second dig um, and uh, not a bad effort with the ball either. Bowling figures of 4 for 95, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> That's pretty tidy. <laughs> Cheeky 40 and a 4 you know, for, we'll take that. Yeah, look, I think it's it's uh, certainly a stand-up performance, and and she's been a terrific performer, particularly in T um, twenties. Uh, uh, as I say, for for a little while now, the youngster um, with a bowling average of uh, just a tick over twenty one, um, at, at an economy rate of uh, just a tick under six at five point nine four. So, as much as we we uh, you know we, we want to talk about lease and and uh, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Why wouldn't you? Um, there are some rising stars within this Southern Stars team that are worth keeping an eye on. And Sophie Molyneux was certainly someone that I enjoyed watching. Uh, absolutely, Bardo. And I think this is what makes the Southern Stars so absolutely terrifying at this point is that they um, quite a lot of these players are very young and they've got a lot more time to play. Um, and if I was international opposition, I would be sad. I would be <laughs> feeling daunted is how I'd be feeling. Um, Chris, let's move on, Butter, and talk about the men's ashes starting on Thursday, which is just truly insane. But here we are. Um, we're going to play some hold up, hey, because I really enjoy doing that in the World Cup. Um, and I have tapes in front of me from Spinks and Hawkey. Um, and I think it's probably the best idea that we start with TK and deal with England first, Butter. What do you reckon? I think that's a solid plan, Pat. Solid plan. Let's play him in. For those of you who haven't listened to us before doing this, um, we have correspondents scattered all over the globe. They send us in tapes uh, with the their cricketing knowledge from their respective sides. Uh, Tom K. Hawkey is our English correspondent. We're going to stop him if we like uh, to make jokes or provide some insight. Chris or I will say, hold up, hey, and then we'll keep rolling the tape. So without further ado, let's crack in. Here is Tom K. Hawkey. Greetings from Indonesia. The Nation of Small Islands. Tom K. Hawkey here with an Ashes warm-up bulletin from a Brit. Ten days after their triumphant, nail-biting World Cup win at Lords, England returned to the home of cricket to face Ireland in a warm-up test. They showed 
precisely how ashes ready they are by being bowled out for 85 in one session, the fourth time that's happened in three years. The other three occasions led to, unsurprisingly, losses for England. However, here they managed to turn it around and win inside seven sessions in a truly crazy match. And England didn't have to rely on debatable laws, strokes of luck, or dubious tiebreakers, although they did fall back on that most English of weapons, the weather. Broad and Wokes exploited what was scientifically perfect swing conditions to take all 10 wickets whilst restricting Ireland to the seventh lowest test score in history. More days like this and the Aussies will be nervous. So, what did we learn? England... Hold up, TK. Um, Bardo, I just wanted to quickly mention the weather mm. and say um, oh, weather and the, the test against Ireland, which was quite insane um but most importantly the weather and and how from what i understand it's sent to rain in birmingham um potentially all week and it makes you wonder what the ability is going to be for anybody to get a result out of this thing if the english weather really does kick in uh yeah interesting point isn't it i mean is a draw about to start for us i don't know i don't know i, I think um i don't think it is if we get out of Edgebaston with a rained-off draw, I'm pretty happy with yeah, that, I, I, to be I honest. I'd be okay with that. I, look, I mean, you hope the weather doesn't play a part. I mean, inevitably, at some point over the series, it will. I don't think that they'll have reserve days, Pat. But um, I don't think they'll have reserve days either. No. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 look, who knows? Maybe it'll make the wicket a little bit greener. I did notice that, to me, that the wicket took bloody greener than Kermit the Frog. Um Oh, mate, didn't it just? It's going to seem all over the Um, job. But we'll wait and see. I think um, wet conditions play more so into England hands than our own. Um, Of course, you know, as we know, cloud cover is conducive to swing. A bit more grass in the wicket. Um, uh, It'll be interesting. But I I think, uh, you know, hopefully the weather doesn't play too much uh, of, of a role. Yeah, fingers and toes crossed. And can we also mention, just because how much of big fans we are of Irish cricket, how excited you and I were when they Irish bowled the palms out for 85 mm. and how much we love old mate Tim Murder um, for being A, a legend, and B, God, I was very pumped there, Chris. I was very pumped. What a bizarre game. You know, England ended up with a score thanks to their night watchman who, Dizzy Gillespie-esque, scored a 92 in the second dig without, you know, was it Jack Leach? They would have been absolutely cooked. Yeah, absolutely cooked, Pat. Um, look, I think we all enjoyed, I think we all enjoyed England being bowled out for uh, 85. Um, and what a day for Ireland. I mean, what a day for Ireland. Uh, great day for Irish cricket. Um, unfortunately, it all sort of turned on its head there a, a little bit. But, uh, uh, you know, it's certainly a day that will go down in the annals of, uh, of Irish cricket and something that we all enjoyed. And look, Tim Murtaugh, um, uh, what a performance. Uh, and I think that's one of the great stories of, of the Irish cricket team is that this is a team that has waited so long to play test cricket and we saw that um last year in their in their first off test where with uh, pakistan where a number of the guys had held on to play in that game and then had retired shortly after um and now we're seeing including our friend of the pod nyle including nyle o'brien and now we're starting to see um uh those that have hung on enjoying some uh, some albeit brief 
uh, shining moments. So, look, something that we all enjoyed, and I think um, we all had a good chortle at. Um, England, you know, clearly right of the. <laughs> Right of the ship pretty quickly. I would think um, you'd be a fool to read too much into it. Although um, yeah. I'll be interested to see what TK's thoughts are, if any, about of the uh, England uh, squad for the first test, because there are some um, names here that we don't know a lot about. Yeah, let's hope he can provide some insight. He usually does. Let's get back to TK. England collapse regularly and bowl well when it swings. Hardly groundbreaking stuff. The biggest concern is with our openers, which is a conversation we've been having for nearly a decade. After Andrew Strauss retired in 2012, Alistair Cook got through 12 opening partners before eventually giving up in 2018. He reportedly said, you guys are all rubbish. I'm off for a well-earned beer. (laughs) God, I miss Alistair Cook and Andrew Strauss. So who's in the hot seats now? Well, we've got Rory, hit one, miss one, nick one, Burns, and Jason well, I'm good with white balls, Roy. Uh, please note, all nicknames are my own and do not reflect the views of the ECB. Throw in Joe, even I don't know who I am, Denley, and you've got a top three to lose sleep over, but only if you're English. Roy has sketchy technique opening in the longer form of the game, whilst Burns and Denley average 22.3 and 24.2 in up. tests, respectively. Hold up, Pat. I just want a point of order. A point of order, point on, of order. Uh, on Joe Denley and uh, and nicknames. Um, so, just some fun facts about Joe Denley. So, three test matches, an average of average of twenty four. It's a little bit underwhelming uh-huh. um, yep. for Joe I'd Denley. Uh, first class av- uh, statistics: uh, one hundred ninety eight matches, average of thirty six point seven, which breaks our golden rule, Pat. I want forty breaks plus. Rule, Chris. I need forty plus. Forty plus. Um, 40 plus. I'll tell you story walking. Um, but uh, so that's un- that's underwhelming, Pat. Uh, let me tell you what is not underwhelming in okay. any way, shape, or form. Um, his Joe Denley's nickname, according to Crick Info, is uh-huh. No Pants. <laughs> you are joking. I you wish are 100% I was. One hundred percent messing with me, but no, why would you mess no. with my emotions like this? No, it's No Pants. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to drop this in. We, for those who don't know, Pat and I have a uh, uh, an ongoing sort of Facebook chat as we as we talk, um, and I'm just going to drop it in um, just so that you're aware that this is a real thing that is uh, that's happening. Joe Denley's nickname is No Pants. So whilst uh, you know, we it could be interesting when he comes out to bat. Is all I'm saying. Um, does it take him a little bit longer to get ready because he's looking for the pants now? It's worthwhile pointing out too, Chris, cultural differences between England and Australia, that in England, pants refer to underwear. Oh. Underwear, Bardo. Yeah, you wear trousers on your legs, but you wear pants underneath your trousers, which which makes the mind truly boggle um, as to how Joe Denley puts a box in. Well, it certainly does. I think that's what they call... <laughs> uh, I think that's what they call the mystery ball, Pat. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's right, buddy. Um, I, I mean, just looking at his headshot now, I'm starting to wonder if he's the kind of man that would just use gaffer tape, buddy. Just tape himself in. Old no mm. pants. <laughs> old, old no pants. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, my goodness. Look, it's a weird one, isn't it? But um, I, you know what? He's not a bad bowler, though, is he? 
He's got a couple of wickets here. I don't want to alarm anybody, but he's got a four for 36 in first-class cricket. All right. That's okay. pretty handy. Sure. Four for 36, but no pants. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to TK. It's almost enough to make you yearn for James Vince. Almost. Other worries to keep an eye on are Johnny All or Nothing Bairstow, who followed up his World Cup centuries with a pair against Ireland. Joe Don't Make Me Angry Root, who's been uncharacteristically rash of late. Moeen the Daddy Alley, <laughs> whose form has been dangerously off lately. And James Anderson, first of his name. Swinger of juke balls, breaker of partnerships. Jimmy is currently held together by gaffer tape, hopes and dreams, and this will surely be his last ashes. He needs just 25 more wickets to get to 600. Oh, it would be wonderful if he could get there this summer, especially if the 25th wicket was that of Steve Smith at the Oval on September the 16th to secure a 5-0 whitewash. Nah, a man can dream. Okay, so it's not looking great for England. However, I have hope. This feels to me like it could be Stokes' ashes. Like Flintoff in 05, he's got the power to transform tight situations with bat, ball or in the field. With a top order looking shakier than a nervous drill operator, someone like Stokes coming in at six could prove to be all important. With Butler and Bairstow rounding out the middle order, there could yet be some big scores to come. You know, once the openers get out. The action begins on Thursday at Australia's unhappy hunting ground of Edgbaston. England have picked a whopping 14-man squad, which belies the niggling injuries in the bowling unit. I'd go with Broad and Anderson opening the bowling, backed up by Wokes, Stokes and Moeen. Archer will play a huge part in this series. I just don't think they should rush him back from injury ahead of the first test. Before the World Cup, the ECB relaxed their rules around nationality requirements, ostensibly to get the Barbadian Jofra Archer into the team. I propose they relax them even further, as well as changing the gender rules, in order to try and coax Meg Lanning into the England squad. Right, prediction time. Neither team looks strong with the bat, and both can be extremely handy with the ball. If it's cloudy, England will win 3-1. If the sun shines, the Ashes will be making their way, metaphorically speaking, down under. Well, that's a huge concession from TK. Rare that you mm. hear him say that it's going to be anything but a 5-0 whitewash um, either way. He does sound a bit down, uncharacteristically down. Do you think he's trying to lull us into a false sense of security, Bardo? Yeah, look, uncharacteristically down. Um, I think that there's some interesting selection decisions to be made for England. One guy I just want to draw your attention to, Pat, is young Ollie Stone. So Ollie's played yeah. one, just one test match for the English. And I've got to admit, I, I didn't know a lot about him. I, I still don't. Um, to a certain extent, <laughs> but um, but certainly his first class figures make for impressive reading. Thirty seven matches, um, one hundred twenty seven, one hundred twenty six wickets. Best bowling figures of eight for eighty. If you don't wow. mind, at an average of twenty four point six in just twenty five years of age. Uh, so mm. there's an interesting sort of young core of English fast bowlers that uh, are making their way. Um, through uh, the English, through into the English Test squad at the moment, um, 
uh, TK mentioned there earlier Joffre Archer, and we all know what Joffre Archer can do. In our last series, Pat, in Australia, we talked a lot about Tom Curran, and I just want to bring to your attention um, uh, yes, his brother date. Sam. Um, who, the raisin. Yep, yeah, the, the, the date. <laughs> I think we called him current. Um, yep, it was clever then. It hasn't, <laughs> it hasn't aged well. Um, but uh, much like a date. Uh, but um, look, Sam Curran's an interesting prospect in, in and of um, himself, being a, a, a bowling all rounder. Um, just uh, ten matches, is a, ten test matches, average of thirty-one, uh, first-class average of twenty-nine. So more than capable with the bat. Um, but um, he is uh, a dangerous prospect with the ball as well. Um, best bowling figures are four for seventy-four. Um, but okay. a strike rate of 52, which is not too bad at all, um, and just 21 years of age. So you've got there Ollie Stone uh, at 25, Joffrey Archer 24, and now Sam Curran at 21. Uh, yeah, there's I'm a lot of youth. To see what you're saying. There's a lot of youth there, and um, when you marry that up with the experience of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson, um, England, I think, have some interesting um, combinations that they could throw at the Australians um, with the ball. So it'll be really, um, I'm, I'm really keen to see what they what they throw uh, at Australia, and of course, um, Chris Works as well. Who we, we all know what Chris Works can do with with bat and ball. Well, yeah, I was just going to say how devastating Chris Works was in the ODI World Cup. Mm. And mate, I did want to mention Jimmy Anderson. It's his birthday today, so oh. happy birthday, Jimmy. Um, he just Jimmy. turned 37 um, today. So here's the thing, though. I mean, that bloke, Chris, that bloke, it's remarkable he's still playing. As a fast bowler, playing at 37 and still being as good as he is, is yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, still um, ex- ab- know, absolutely extraordinary. And we really haven't seen too many like him. Um, sort of other fast bowlers that were still um, effective into the late 30s, you think of the likes of Kirtley, uh, well, Courtney Walsh, uh, certainly, uh, and uh, McGrath. Glenn McGrath is probably the other one that comes to mind. Um, Wazzy Macram is another one that played um, quite True. late. So some fairly elite company there. There's not too many that, that make it to their late 30s and, and, and are as effective as James Anderson. And i got to say, I, those 575 wickets have, have snuck up on us a bit. I mean, we know he's a world-class bowler, but certainly not necessarily someone that you, that you think in those sort of lofty heights. Um an interesting choice that I think the England uh, uh, team will have to make, though, is the choice of wicketkeeper. Um, I certainly think Bairstow needs to play, but whether Bairstow mm. needs to keep, I'm not so sure. Um, I think, uh, although he's certainly a capable keeper, um, I would almost play him as a as a, a standalone batsman um, because yeah. from what we've seen in the shorter forms of the game, uh, and and Joss Butler can be so damaging. Um, coming in down the order. Yeah, you're um, not wrong, but you know, I think there's a there's a uh, a bloke by the name of Gilchrist uh, who gives you a pretty good mould there to follow. So some interesting choices to make for the England side. Um, we'll have to wait and see. One area where I'm not quite sure that they've made the right decision though is with Moeen Ali. Um, they're a little yes, bit light on yeah. with the spin stocks, I think, at the moment. I'm somewhat surprised. Um, again, they're not putting a lot of stock into their performances in the shorter form of the game, um, but I'm somewhat surprised that Adil Rashid hasn't uh, had a look in uh, yeah, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the longer form of the game because he does perform well against against Australia. That is a team that he does like to play against. Um, and I, I just think... On the back of what we've seen in recent Ashes series, in terms of uh, what Moeen's been able to produce with the ball, 
uh, I'm not sure that that uh, it's he's the most potent option for them. So interesting not times. Um, and especially, you know what, Bardo, if you don't want to give um, Rashid a game, you think he goes for too many runs, then then give Jack Leach a crack. I mean, he just mm. made a 92 against Ireland with a bat for one and for two. His um, first-class figures are pretty tidy, mate. He's got a grand total of 270 first-class wickets at an average of 25 as a, as a left armour um, with best bowling of 8 for 85. So, I mean, yeah. I think he can consider himself pretty unlucky not to get a, not to get a crack there. Um, yeah, interesting. So, I mean, again, it, it, just some interesting choices. And I, I think one of the things that we talked about um, a few years ago was that Moeen Ali um, really went through a bit of an identity crisis, I think, or um, rather an, an, an identity crisis, crisis was kind of bestowed upon him. Um, you know, was he a low-order low batsman that could bowl spin? Was he the frontline spinner? Was he the second spinner? Um, what were the expectations around his performance? And and um, I'm not sure that they're necessarily setting him up for success here. He is a cricketer that I love watching, though, when he is up and about. So hopefully, um, for his sake and, and, and for England's sake, uh, we, we get to see the best of Moeen Ali. That's, I couldn't agree more, but I couldn't agree more. And, mate, I think we should turn our attention to the Aussies, a camp we're much more confident in talking about. Um and hear from Alex Spinks. Spinks, he sent us a tape, Bardo. Are you ready for it? I am very ready. Here we go. Alex Spinks with an Australian preview um, of the Ashes. <laughs> He's doing his own theme music now, Spinks, and I'm not opposed to it. Um, again, very thankful I bought that license. Good day or evening or whatever time of day it is for you and welcome to Sphinx's Ashes Preview. I was played in there by the theme to Channel 9's coverage of the Benton and Hedges 1992 Cricket World Cup. A time when cigarette and alcohol advertising was so shamefully rampant, you'd confuse a cricket match for being a segment on Shane Warne's <laughs> lifestyle program. Putting that useless piece of information to the side, it's time to look forward to the mecca of cricket. It's our Manchester Derby. It's our state of origin. It's our Bledisloe Cup. It's our Putnam spelling bee. It's the Ashes. A tournament that has been so monotonously won by the home side for the last decade, I almost think we should speed up the BCCI's inevitable world domination and play the damn thing in India. (laughs) But enough with the jokes. I'll leave that to the most useless surviving Avenger, TK Hawkeye, for when he tries to talk positively about England's opening batsman. (laughs) So, let's talk about the Aussie squad. For our choices of opening batsmen, we have the incumbent and man with the most Sheffield Shield runs last season, Marcus Harris, alongside our very own returning amateur carpenters, David Warner and Cameron Bancroft. (laughs) Our middle order is comprised of the perpetually hamstrung Usman Khawaja, the man who could have played for England, but just like in Newlands, he looked the other way, Steve Smith, one of our vice captains, Travis Head, and the guy who has used reverse psychology to absolute perfection by moving to Tasmania to get noticed, it's Robocop. It's the Terminator. It's a guy who, judging by Cricket Australia's history of selection, will be the most informed drinks runner in the series, Matthew Wade. 
Our all-rounders consist of the county batting machine, Manus Lebeshain, and the man who knows how to bat and bowl really well in the lead-up to a series, only to forget it once he crosses the boundary rope at a test match. It's Mitchell Marsh in his 12th comeback test series. Our bowlers now, and we have brought along every Australian pace bowler Mark War could probably name except for Trent Copeland, as always. <laughs> Leading the battery is our second vice captain and number one tank-ranked test bowler in the world, Pat Cummins. He is joined by the ODI World Cup wicket record holder, Mitchell Stark, our other previous vice captain, Josh Hazelwood. The always injured but always in the selectors' hearts and minds, James Pattinson. My favourite banana-eating boy who just won't quit, Peter Siddle. And a man with such an annoyingly spelled last name, I had to look up how to pronounce it so I didn't sound like I said the consonants by accident, Michael Neeser. For all of that arsenal of pace, seven if you include Mitchell Marsh, and I guess I technically have to, we have brought just the lone specialist spinner. And that man is, as always, the GOAT. Nathan Lyon. And of course, this team will be marshalled by the entertaining gentleman behind the stumps, Tim Payne. The unlucky ones this time round are three players who played admirably. Some hold might up, even say, hold up, hold up, hold up. Um, thank you for an excellent rundown there, but I, I, I enjoyed all of that. Um, mm. Even the sandpaper jokes, which hurt me on my insides. Uh, but oh, are we happy with this? Before he gets into the people who are unlucky to miss out, um, which is the next step, I can tell in my heart. Uh, are you happy with that group, Bardo? Are you happy with that group for the squad, Bardo? Uh, are you happy with it? Uh, look, <laughs> interesting choices. Interesting choices. There's a couple there that we didn't really talk about, Pat, in the lead-up. I think if you play back some of the tapes on our discussions in terms of who we had pegged for the side, uh, none of us had Peter Siddle making uh, his way across to uh, uh, No, but 0%. None of us had Mitchell Marsh making his way across to England. Um, and I, I don't think we thought Malinus Labashain would, would be on the plane at all. So, um, look, some interesting selections there. I think there's, um, as Binks is about to hit the nail on the head, um, there's some guys that can consider themselves hugely unlucky to miss out. Um, one guy in particular, I think, um, you know, Curtis Patterson. I'm not really sure what else he had yeah. to do. Um, but um, as I say, timing is everything. And um, in the most recent matches between Australia and Australia, right, Mitchell Marsh was in pretty good touch um, and uh, with both bat and ball. And uh, look, we've certainly gone pace heavy, haven't we? Uh, and Really I, pace heavy. If anything, it's a huge compliment to Nathan Lyon and the, re- the faith we place in his resilience, his skill... Um, and his endurance to be able to get through the workload that I think that he will be able to get through. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, as I said, there, there are some... Uh, I, Cameron Bancroft's another one um, where you just sort of think, I, I didn't yeah. pick that. I, you know, to, I be sit, that to be is. perfectly honest with you, to be sitting here two days out from the ashes and going, I'm not sure who our opening partnership is going to be or who our top three is going to be pending fitness for uh, Usman... I, I'm shocked. I wasn't ready. It's sele- I tell you what, Pat, it's a selection shock. That's Let's just put it... Oh, no, Chris. You know, oh, I thought no. we were done with these. I thought we were done, oh, but... Oh, no, not, we're not these again. No, we're, oh, we're, we're, we're in them again. But look, some interesting choices. That All that being said, I'm pretty confident that from uh, this these 17 men, uh, we can cobble together a pretty handy 11 to do some damage. 
I agree. And my other good news for you is that Ilsman Kawaja passed his fitness test today and is expected to take the field tomorrow. So that is some really good news. I'm gonna, I've got some other news for you, but I'm going to hold on to it. Um, let's see what Spinksy has to say. Um, we're about halfway through the tape here. And say played extremely well in our last home summer. Joe Burns and Curtis Patterson, both century makers in our last test match against Sri Lanka in February. And Jackson Bird, Australia's number one reserve bowler. And he misses out either because the selectors love affair with the thought of James Pattinson's steaming ends stuck together with sticky tape and staples, or because when the selectors get to England, they pick up my favourite man, Peter Siddle, dust him off because he's perfect for bowling in English conditions, and then forget where they left him until there's a dead rubber to be played. Now, I'm sure that Bardo and the Ginger Ninja will be dissecting the relative strengths and weaknesses of both sides, so I just want to raise one discussion point. A controversial one, and it's probably quite harsh on a man who has steered a wild ship in his eight tests in charge quite well, but are we entering the final phase of Tim Payne's international career? First things first, he has captained a fractured side very capably, and his glove work has always remained the envy of other Australian wicketkeepers. And his epic rearguard 61 not out against Pakistan in Dubai in his first test as anointed captain was an echo to amazing efforts by great batsmen like Faf Duplessis. Uh, not an echo of where Faf got suspended for ball tampering, uh, but of him banning out a draw with JP Dumini in Australia many years ago. But that 61 not out was the last time Payne passed 50 runs, 12 innings and 8 test matches ago, and he has averaged 20.18 since then. Whilst his batting has always been known and accepted to be a weak point, those are the types of numbers that ended Peter Neville's test career and, until recently, seemingly ended Matthew Wade's. With Alex Carey blossoming with bat in hand in the recent World Cup and his improving work with the gloves, how much longer can the Australian team go on without having any hope for runs coming from number seven? All that being said... The job Tim Payne has done for Australian cricket needs to be applauded. And if this is his last 12 months in international cricket, wouldn't it be the best type of reward to be the first captain since Steve Waugh to win the Ashes in England for Australia? I think so. So that's all from me. I hope I've stirred the pot enough, and now I just count down the hours till this whole thing kicks off in my father-in-law's home city of Birmingham at the Edge Baston Cricket Ground. Until then, play me out, Mojo! Thank you, Alex Spinks, and um, well done for self-scoring too uh, with with the, with the jams there, um, Bardo. Mm. I would I would be fanging to say an extraordinarily controversial opinion there um, from Spinksy the two that Tim Payne might not be holding water, but you're pulling a face at me, which makes me mm. think that you're considering it. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a bad point. Um, to look, tomorrow's not guaranteed for nobody, Pat. Tomorrow's guaranteed for nobody. It's, you play the game one ball at a time. Um, I'd see where he's coming from. Uh, I, I think Tim Payne is and was the right man at the right time. Um, and I think a wicketkeeper should always be selected for wicketkeeping first. Um and I'm hoping that he will have more coverage um, in from the top six than he certainly had uh, against India and and against Pakistan. 
Uh, that's the other thing I think to consider is that he has come in at some difficult points. Really bad moments. Um, yeah, throughout, yeah, last, yeah. throughout the last summer. So I'm hoping he'll have more coverage from the top six. Um, his wicket keeping, as always, will remain um, a high standard. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think there are also some, also some other factors to consider here. Um, one, his age. He's almost 35. Um, and whilst keepers can go on and with, with modern... Um, you know, modern sports science and all that sort of thing. There's no, you wouldn't want to put an expiry date on anybody. Um, uh, it's certainly um, a point to be considered. Um, Matthew Wade at 31 has a few more years uh, underneath his belt. He's making a few more runs. Uh, and Alex Carey, underneath that, we as as uh, Spinksy so rightly pointed out, has done such a did such a wonderful job um, in the World Cup where he really uh, stamped himself. Um, as a, a weak keeper batsman in the shorter form of the game, and was you know, pretty, you know, you know certainly very capable with the gloves, and and did a good job, and and was more than capable with the bat, and I think is the type of person that Australians, the Australian public, is has been clamouring for um, to come in at number seven. So do I think do I think um, uh, Alex Carey at the moment is the heir apparent? Absolutely. I don't think it's Matthew Wade, even though he's been he's listed here as a wicket keeper batsman. Um, because he's indicated that he is going to focus on his batting. I'm really hoping we're going to see him bowl um, throughout I'm the really series. I'm really hoping we're going to see him bowl. I, I just, I'm really hoping you're going to see him bowl. It's the I, that's best all thing. I want. So I don't I th- want I, him to I, I don't I want him to be played at six, Bardo, and I want him to get like eight yeah. overs out of Matty Wade, and I want him to take like one for 40. I would be stoked if that happened. Look, I, so I don't think we'll see Matthew Wade because I don't think we'll see Matthew Wade. Um, uh, keep in this series. I don't think we'll see him be Australia's next wicket keeper. I think that'll go to Alex Carey. How long that occurs, I think, depends on a couple of things. First of all, you know, it depends on on um, Tim Payne's performance in this game because it, even if you are the captain, it is hard to retain your position um, if you're not in form with with both bat and the gloves. But I also think it depends on what we see from Alex Carey um, or others um, in in the domestic scene this summer. Because if Alex Carey puts on a pile of runs over the Sheffield Shield, then moving into the summer, that's where it may become uh, apparent uh, that a change needs to happen. As I said, I think it's hard to say, and I think what we need to be doing right now is getting behind uh, T-Pain. Uh, and uh, and I'm, he is the right man, I think, to lead this team uh, in this Ashes series. Uh, beyond that, I'm not so sure. Let me sure. say this, Bardo. Let me say this. I would be phenomenally shocked if Tim Payne didn't captain this entire series and probably the rest of the Australian summer. It would yeah. take, I think, an injury or something like that to go down, especially when you consider who the vice captains of this side are. Sure. The vice captains of this side is Trav Head and Paddy Cummins. And it's not Steve Smith, it's not Davey Warner. Mm. Um, Davey Warner, as we know, can never captain an Australian side. Um, Steve Smith could. I think he's got an extended ban for how long until that can happen. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. But that means that you'd be looking towards probably Trav Head to captain his country. And given that he's not really holding his spot in the side, I don't think you can make that swap. But I, I, I yeah. hear Spinksy's point. We do need runs from Paney, and hopefully, as you say, Bardo, that that more runs from the top order will put him in a more uh, beneficial position to be able to do that. Um, but Chris, uh, uh, here's, here's the things we know. 
Here's, here's who we know is going to play for us in this game. We know that Davey Warner is going to open the batting. Mm-hmm. We know that Usman Khawaja is fit and he's going to play, mm-hmm. um, barring anything disastrous happening in the next 24 or 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Steve Smith is going to play. We know that Tim Payne is going to play. We know that Paddy Cummins is going to play. We know that Nathan Lyon is going to play. So that's a total of six players who are locks. Shunkity. Now, who plays in around them is a point of contention. Let's talk about openers. Um, Vying for the spot. Marcus Harris and Cam Bancroft. Um, Now, Marcus Harris is the incumbent and was the highest run scorer in Sheffield Shield last year, including half of the season when they used the Duke's ball. However, on the opposite side of the ball game, uh, Cameron Bancroft just made 92 in the intra-squad game, which we all knew was going to be a... Um, an audition for for uh, this particular test series. So, who who comes in there? And while I'm throwing questions at you, Bardo, um, as much as you as I have talked about Matthew Wade and me and Spinksy have talked about Matthew Wade, and I will say his name again, how extraordinary that man has been. I am starting to think that given the team makeup, it's probably going to be minus batting at six in the first test. He's incumbent, and he bowls leggies, right? And we do not have any other real spinning options in that in that top six. Um, I know you're thinking about Steve Smith there, but I can see you thinking about him. But, mate, he got palmed in English conditions sure. in his most recent ODI. So sure. I, I, all I want in mm. my life, and I've already said it in the podcast, I'll say it again, all I want is to see Matthew Wade bowling his 145 kilometer an hour seamers in English conditions, taking wickets and bouncing batsmen. That's mm-hmm. that's what I want. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're going to see it. Um, so, so my side in my brain looks like this. I think it's going to be Harris and Warner, Kawaja, mm. um, Smith, Travis Head, Marnus Labuschagne, um, Tim Payne, Cummins, James Pattinson is also a lock by all accounts. Um, he's in the side. And I think they'll probably stick with the the big four and go for Hazelwood and Stark. Um, Stark just gives you so much variation. But they might drop Stark and go for Peter Siddle maybe. Who's to say um, for that last bowling position? I, I doubt Michael Neese is going to get a run, but I'm so pleased to see him in the side following his money ball antics, Bardo. So mm. I, I think that's where that leaves me um, in all of that and all New South Wales bowling attack, Bardo. What do you think about all of that and where does it leave you? Well, uh, i tell you what, mate. The uh, I, Well, we know, we, we know we're opening with, with Warner. I think that's obvious. Uh, we saw a more tempered David Warner in the in the World Cup, a more mature David Warner in, in some respects. Um, I tell you what, it's a line ball for me between Marcus Harris and Cameron Bancroft. I'm really not sure which way the selectors will go. Let me just read you some of the more recent scores for um, for Marcus Harris. Now, th- to be fair, this does go back to March. In his last game for Victoria, he scored 141 and 23. Uh, and then for Australia A against Sussex, he scored 109 and uh, and 12 not out uh, in a pretty commanding pretty performance. Uh, against the English Lions, he scored 34 and 50 um, and mm-hmm. um, had a pair of uh, uh, innings he'd rather forget 
in the uh, in the Australia versus well the intra squad game uh, we'll call it uh, six and fifteen. So there's some form on the board there for Marcus Harris. He's played six tests, an average of thirty two point seven. Um, as you say, was uh, was I think our highest highest run scorer. Is that right? Uh, in the last series um, with two fifties, uh, and we saw enough there, um, and we know what a prolific uh, um, you know time he had of it. Uh, last summer domestically so there's a little bit there um so that that you know and, and i think we'd all feel pretty comfortable with marcus harris at the top of the order. we, we that, that's logical we know where we're going with that this run, runs on the board he's the incumbent guy yeah. he did yeah. he didn't do anything it, you know he didn't he didn't stamp it he, he didn't uh, say look this is mine and 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 uh, you know and all of that but did enough i think to warrant uh, uh, a selection in the next game having said all of that let me just read to some Cameron Bancroft uh, for a moment. Now, Bancroft, we know, um, up until the Shemozel in South Africa, um, was the incumbent uh, uh, opening bat and um, had had a really great time of it in the Sheffield Shield le- leading up to those uh, games. So, uh, in comparison to um, Marcus Harris, who's played six matches, we've got eight test matches for, for Cameron Bancroft. Highest score of 82 not out, an average of 30, so a lower average, although only you know, fairly negligible. Um, but let me read you some of his uh, previous scores there. Um, so, yep. and these are more frequent because Cameron Bancroft actually took himself off uh, to Durham and has played some county cricket for Durham. So, recent scores are 158, um, this, and this is dating back wow. to June. So, 158, um, 5, um, 77, 92 not out. 36, 109, 8, 28, 17, and 93 not out. Um, of course, being the most recent innings. Um, That's a lot of English form, isn't it? It's a lot of English form. And the most recent innings, as we know, was in a game where just about nobody did anything. Um, and he was yeah. really the only one to kind of um, uh, stamp his uh, authority on uh, on the game with the bat. So, it's a line ball. Um, but I'm going to say... He's a right-hander. And he does have, according to Steve War, he's the best um, short leg fielder he's ever yep. seen. That's coming from Tugger. So, yeah, I, I hear your point, mate. I think, having said that, I think you have to give the nod to Cameron Bancroft, um, which uh, again, I don't think we would have said that six months ago. I can't believe we're saying this. I can't believe we're saying this. I can't believe Australian cricket's come to this, mate. It's it's wild. It really is. Yeah. I think is I honestly think he's the I think he's the man in form, um, uh, simply because of the performances for Durham. So as you say, it's a lot of English form, um, and whilst uh, Marcus Harris has certainly not been bad by any stretch of the imagination, I mean we saw you know he, he made runs for Australia A against uh, against the English Lions, which is their second eleven. Um, so his form is fine, um, but I think, gee, we're going to see a pairing of Warner and Bancroft. I think. Um, Mate, the English crowds are going to go nuts. Edgebaston is going to go off its chops if those two walk out together. It's going to require incredible mental toughness from both of those guys. And I actually believe that Bancroft would be better suited to that than Davey. Um, Davey's a bit of an emotional character, I think. But Bancroft's a yoga teacher in his part-time. So Well, you know. uh, but what a combination, though, potentially, of personalities. <laughs> You've got... You've got Warner yeah. the, Pu- the Pugilist, who's almost like... Do you ever read The Dark... I think it's The Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller 
um, yes. Batman series where Batman kind of comes yes. back after 10 years out of retirement and it's all old and grizzled but like still kicking ass I feel like we're seeing like Dark Knight Returns version of David Warner here now I know there's only 12 <laughs> months out of the game but you got to admit he's got a beard and he didn't have a beard before and he's True. all grizzled and everyone's like oh he's slow yeah. now he's so slow now but he's he's not that he, one he went you know he, he's uh, I would say he's more measured uh, in, in his mm. batting so, so you've got a pugilist and then you've got a yoga instructor Who's just going to be mellow and uh, and and by all accounts has done a lot of introspection over the last twelve months in terms of uh, yeah. his own uh, uh, place in the world. So, um, what a combination! What a combination! Um, uh, you know, and I think you know these. Uh, you know, they say pressure creates diamonds, and um, you know, and all that sort of thing. So, uh, it could be the making of them as a pair. You know, we could be looking back on this and saying that was the that was the the moment you know the last moment of redemption because i tell you what they score 100 on day one or, or open uh open the account with none for 100 at lunch um and and watch it all float away so um that's an that's interesting point, one uh what I about think, your number six bardo yeah look that i'm not so sure about i'm less convinced um than you that we need a second spinning option um i think you just have to go with whoever's going to give you the most runs for mine um and um i disagree with you that that person um is going to be manus labashane i like manus labashane um i i think he gives us a little bit um but for me five test matches average of 26 um first class average of 37 which is not terrible um and he's past the test though chris doesn't pass the test and um you know, his, his, bowling's been, his bowling's been interesting though Bowling's been interesting. Um, nine wickets at an average he's of 27. Um, he's the highest um, run scorer in county cricket to date. Okay. Well, and we talk about English form, don't we? So, it's just some of his recent form for Glamorgan. Um, uh, 50, and if, we're, if we're looking exclusively with the bat here, um, he did make 41 um, in the Australia intra-squad game, the Australian intra-squad game. 51, naught, uh, 106, 65, 82... Um, you missed uh, another 51. hundred there too, Chris. Oh, sorry, He's got I did double too. hundreds in that. A couple of hundreds, yeah, a couple of hundreds for more. Yeah, it's got a lot of English form, isn't it? So it's not bad. 65, 82, 51, 83, mm. 182. Um, but I hear your point. I mean, I think Matthew Wade's form so irresistible. I don't know how they're going to draw a line between those two. And then Chris, an outside for sheer balance. There's Mitchell Marsh. Um, but surely Mitch hasn't done enough to be able to get a gig. Surely, in comparison to Wade, he's just done zilch. Um, yeah. Surely. Well, I he just, got five for thirty-four with a ball, which is great. But in in the intra-squad game, but surely he doesn't done enough to get number six. I can't see any hundreds on that list. Oh, there's one for West Australia versus Queensland back in March. Mm. Um, I Look, don't think it's enough. I think a good selection uh, as part of the squad. I think it's. I think it's still worth keeping the faith with with Mitchell Marsh. I think he's the kind of person that we'll see a late. Um, you know, career renaissance, only 27, so there's still plenty of cricket in him. Um, I wouldn't have thought that he would be batting uh, six at the moment. As you say, there's just not enough recent form uh, to go on, although plenty of knots, um, 53 not out, 29 not out, 40 not out, um, and some reasonable performances with the ball, one for 13, five for 34, one for 38, one for 15, three for 43 and two for 41 are the notable performances. So there's, there is a little bit there, uh, again, in, in terms of English form, but I just think, um, again... Keep him in the nets, Bardo. 
Keep him in the nets. Keep him as a net boy. Yeah. You know, Look, let I him think- run a few drinks out. See if he gets his, his his mind together. Yeah. So for me, again, I I just think you just have to reward um, the form. I think the experience, the grizzle that uh, that Matthew Way will bring. Um, let's not forget that he can also bowl. Um, so uh, I think there's enough there for Matthew Scott Way. What about your bowlers, Bardo? What about your bowlers? Who are you bringing in? Obviously, Cummins and Pattinson are already selected. Um, and Lyon. So, mm. really, it's that last bowling spot, mate. Who comes in for you? Yeah. Oh, again, gee, it's a, it's a tough, tough, tough call, isn't it? Um, you know, you've got um, Mitchell Stark, of course, who's just taken the record number of wickets in, the, in a World Cup. Um, gives you the left arm uh, option, which is always attractive. Um you know, wasn't his absolute best over the last Australian summer, if we're all um, being completely honest. Um, but um, I, for me, he still has the front running. Um, Josh Hazelwood, I would think, um, for team balance, um, because what we're probably lacking with this um, uh, side that we're going into at the moment is we just don't have a metronome. We don't have a, a line and length yeah, guy. Yeah, reliable line and length guy, yeah. Which you got to have a line and length guy. So it's, it's a In really, really difficult decision. Um, I think Peter Siddle... Uh, hey, they're probably going to pick Peter Siddle. That's probably what they'll do because uh, every time do. I write Peter yeah. Siddle off, he keeps coming back. Um, <laughs> so, um, tough one. <sighs> I think they'll go with Stark, but... Um, if simply because he's played more cricket recently, um, I, on team balance, I would like to see Hazelwood selected because I think you have um, a, a tear away in James Pattinson, um, who rightly I think is being picked. I know it's a bit of a selection shock for some, but um, I think he's he's red hot at the moment by all accounts. Um, you've got your you know your your workhorse in Paddy Cummins who can bang it in. Uh, and uh, and normally from there, I think you need a line length guy. So I would like to see them pick Hazelwood. I think they'll go with uh, Mitchell Stark, which is not a bad selection by any, any means. That, uh, as we know, he can take lots of wickets. My only concern is that we might bleed runs, and I'm not sure who's going to dry it up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not a selector, let's say that much. You and me both, Chris. And, mate, we should really wrap up in a minute, but I just really wanted to ask you if we can win what your expected result is out of this first test, and I want a, a series prediction, Bardo, a series prediction. Hit me Ooh. with that. Um, I, think, I think England wins the first test. It <sighs> hurts me. Yeah, I think... Keep going. I hope I'm wrong. I think it's 2-1 to England. I think. Oh, I I think the first test is going to be a draw. I think it's going to be a washout. Um, and I think Australia are just going to get over the line and win 2-1. I think we're going to return the urn after 18 years. That's my little bit of positivity for you, but look at me not jumping on a I ship. Hope so. huh? Do you huh? know what's scary, Pat, is that there are people that can vote that have never seen the Australian cricket team win in England. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And we were so good for so long. We were so good. Um, all right, mate. That's the end of the pod for us, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. You're an absolute bunch of legends. Make sure you go to the Facebook page. You check us out on the iTunes store. You like, rate, review it. You share it with your friends um, and really get the pod out into the world. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, 
Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe, share it around, folks. Um, review it. That would really help us out. Before we go, Chris, any final thoughts from you, my man? Uh, you know me, Pat. I've only got so many thoughts that I can expunge in an hour, and I think I've expunged them all. On your butter. You're a legend. We'll be back after the first test. I'm going to be doing some of the rest of this podcast uh, for this Ashes series from Thailand, Chris. So that should present its own technical challenges, which should be very exciting for everyone. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Bardo. Thank you to our correspondents. We'll be back real soon. And go those Aussies.